language is so important to really communicate the things we want to talk about. Um, and especially now when people are working from home and we're talk communicating on chat programs, on Zoom, um, via email a lot more perhaps, it is even more so important to be able to express oneself clearly, to be assertive, but also for managers to detect if there is any tension or any conflict going on in the team that is working remotely. So these are just some of the very exciting and interesting topics that we're talking about with Liz Kislik in this podcast episode. Um, Liz is a management consultant and an executive coach. She's a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review and Forbes. She has a fantastic TED talk out there, which is called Why There's So Much Conflict at Work and What You Can Do to Fix It. And as an executive coach, Liz has a lot of insight into the inside world and ticking of companies and how to create better functioning teams, how to gel together the people and the teams, how to coach your employees, how to detect and resolve conflict. And we also have a great conversation about COVID-19, the pandemic, and working from home. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work, and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com. So thank you so much, Liz, for coming on the podcast. I'm very thrilled uh, and very honored to have this conversation with you because I believe that we're going to be really drilling down into some of the issues that can be very helpful and insightful for people today, especially now in the fall of 2020 and, and going forward. So um, my first question really was that, um, you know, we see so many surveys that come out that indicate that a lot of people had to start working from home much, much more uh, than before, before the pandemic. And now when they asked if they would like to, uh, once the pandemic is over, if they would like to return to the office um, the way it was before, quite a few of them indicate that actually they would prefer at least to continue working from home part-time, but some, and that's also quite a large proportion, indicate that they would like to uh, almost permanently work from home. Now, I was wondering, because I'm trying to figure out, you know, what this means for the future of work, what this means for organizations, but when I was preparing for this podcast, I thought I would ask you whether, do you think some of it may be because people... Um, when they're working from home, are not confronted with the office politics, that they are not around maybe some unpleasant people in the office, and actually you cut out some of this unpleasant part of, of what it means working with other people. I'm sure that's true, Agnes. What I really think is that surveys aggregate too much information and it would be helpful if we knew at a finer level of detail what people were really thinking. Because I'll tell you what I see in my practice and talking to others. I think everything you raised is 
true and it's accurate, but it's incomplete. So people have now been working at home long enough that their routines have become more comfortable. The things that bothered them in the beginning, that their equipment wasn't exactly good and the chair wasn't comfortable and they hadn't sorted out yet how to share living spaces, workspace, and all those complications when everybody's stress was horribly high. But now there are routines. And it's true, depending on what kind of places they work, there isn't as much free food or um, certain other conveniences. But if they have pets at home, they're comfortable with their pets. And they can um, take care of things going on in their household while they are working in the time and space that they used to use for chatting with colleagues and being in the break room and those kinds of things. So most of the surveys do show that there is generally higher productivity now with people working at home. I have some concern about whether people are working too much because some are. Um, I think your point about we don't have to be near the people who are difficult, I think that's true and I'm sure that's a relief and it's a relief not to have to commute. But I also think there is some value just in the fact that for people who are not dealing with school-aged children, and that's a crucial distinction, there's less interruption Potentially, potentially. I mean, it depends on where you're living, but there can be less interruption. And that is such a common complaint about our typical workplaces. Um, and also, in addition to the flexibility I mentioned, there are some ways in which I believe people feel they have more autonomy at home. They have more control over their workspace than they had in the workplace. And most of us like having more control and autonomy. What it doesn't take into account, though, is the level of loneliness, um, the inability to run into your colleagues serendipitously and share an exciting thought. You know, now we have to be very much more scheduled to actually have a conversation. So I think there are a lot of pros and cons. Hmm. It's definitely a very new reality uh, of, of work. And um, I mean, I really liked uh, what you said about, you know, as time has gone on, so we're settling in and, and perhaps some of these pros and cons are starting to be more accentuated. So we're much more... Um, aware of them and um, actually one of your your specialties is conflict and solving conflicts in teams which i find extremely interesting and and you have also an excellent ted talk uh, about it on, on youtube and on ted um, now i wanted to ask you because we know uh, how conflict can be um, you know really hampering productivity and team uh, work and belonging and communication and, and have really devastating mental health effects also on people and just 
you know, turn on the, the living intention. Um, but coming back a little bit to my earlier point, so now we're removed, we're working from home in the safety of our homes. But what if um, there is an underlying conflict between members of a team who are working remotely? Um, can this go undetected under the radar of managers? Um, and then maybe as a follow-up, what? how can managers solve this if if the remote, you know, it's no longer a case of let's go into this meeting room, let's work it out, let's talk about it. But I think it's a, there's a di different uh, character to, to, to conflict at work when you're remote, right? Yes, you, you are right. What we're seeing is more of what we would have thought in the old workplace when we were all together. We might have thought of it more as withdrawal. So, you know, now it's easy, much easier than it was to let the conflict be separate from you because you're at home. So there may be some disagreement or something you don't like in a, a Zoom meeting or whatever, but then you can shut that off and go away from it. And because, as I said, when... When we have to discuss things, we have to schedule more to actually be with each other. Some people just avoid that and therefore avoid the feelings of being in the conflict. Um, your question about how can managers tell if people are in conflict is a good one and an important one because, you know, the majority of us are actually conflict diverse. And most managers don't want to know if there's a conflict, you know. They'd rather not have to deal with it. I'm sure you've seen that. In fact, one of the ways that many managers deal with conflict generally is by telling the participants that they have to go away and work it out themselves. Often the manager does not take an active role in diagnosing and analyzing what's really going on. And that's a shame because if you have people in conflict, sending them away just to have the conflict is very unlikely to change the outcome. Whoever has more power, more clout, is more skillful at managing the conflict is likely to come out on top, you know. It 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 won't the dynamic won't change if the manager doesn't get involved. So 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 now it's easy for the manager to avoid it altogether, which is really a problem. Um and it takes a kind of courage and determination both from the manager and anyone who wants to resolve the conflict to work on it now because there are more barriers to being together. So things to look for if you're the manager and you have a concern. The first thing is, is the work progressing? Because if the work itself is not moving forward, you have to look for the reasons that that's so. Um, are there, and I'm sure you've seen this, everybody has seen this, are there meetings before the meetings to talk about 
how we're going to handle this person to complain about that person or after the real meeting, are there meetings to vent and complain about what happened in the meeting? Um, in the old workplace, if people drove to work, sometimes you would see those meetings in the parking lot. You know, um, so if there are these ancillary get-togethers, that's one tip-off. But the other thing is when you have video meetings, are there people who don't participate? Because in some ways it's easier to avoid participation on video than it was when you were sitting in the actual conference room. So if you see that somebody is withdrawn who used to be an active participant, that's something to check on. Uh, is there any kind of let's call it shutting somebody down. Somebody makes a blanket statement, oh, I don't think we should talk about that. Or that's not the kind of thing that's important. Is somebody making those kinds of statements? Is the manager making those kinds of statements? They shut people down and send the conflict underground. Uh, or any kind of passive aggressiveness because all of these things affect the work. So people say, oh, yes, in the video conference, and then you don't see the progress afterward, or you don't see the collaboration afterward. They're the same kinds of signals or clues you would have gotten in person. You just have to look for them more carefully. Thank you very much. And these are excellent, excellent uh, pointers, really. Um, and, and specifically, I, I also liked what you said about avoiding conflict and, you know, this, this being easier to avoid conflict. Um, and also what we have seen, and I don't know whether this was also your experience, that um, at the same time uh, as people became somehow more vulnerable to uh, you know, in the organization, because with the video calls, all of a sudden, you know, you could get a, an insight into their lives as to, you know, how they lived, what kind of care responsibilities they had. Um, at the same time, I also feel that, uh, you know, teams were also not, maybe not having um, those very difficult conversations around how to manage all of this. And it was a, just a bit of a spirit of soldiering on. I'm, of course, extremely um, uh, generalizing here because this varies from organization to organization. But uh, I wanted to get a little bit your your um, take on all of the things that you've you've just said about um, you know how can then managers um, un unravel a little bit or un unpack these uh, these um, you know, all of these different signals without maybe prying into the lives of people, without wanting to stir things? How can they um, invite the kind of conversations from the members of their team to understand whether there's conflict and, and whether there's things, you know, not going well, um, that they don't feel that we're being intruded upon? Or um, does this make sense, this question? <laughs> yes, it makes so much sense. And 
we could talk for two hours just on this question, because as you say, there is a range. Um, the diversity of experience is very significant, and it's not just company to company. It's within organizations and even within a single team. So, you know, some people are very comfortable at home. Other people actually have to be vigilant and on high alert because a young child may run into the room or they may be sharing what is now their workspace with roommates that they never would have chosen to work with and it's actually quite challenging. And and wanting to shield and keep private the true experience, the lived experience from your work colleagues can be absolutely exhausting for people who need to do that. Um, so it's tough and the thoughtful manager is confronted with a very wide range of experience to try to think about and somehow assess how to handle differently with each person. And the truth is, this is what managers should always be doing, wherever they are. But now we can be more uh, aware of what the range of experience is. So there are many, many different ways to deal with this. I'll only be able to scratch the surface. The first thing is to think about what will help your team so that the truth is the most likely to come out. Sometimes that may mean telling people that it's okay to turn their cameras off. Now, the difficulty in this, the great, <laughs> what I find to be the great helpful value in having the visual is to be able to see when someone actually stops talking so that you don't cut them off. That's harder to do on the phone. But on the phone, phone only, audio only, you can hear more in someone's voice about whether they feel confident about something, how they are thinking about it, what their concerns might be. You know, just the way that when you call an old friend, in two seconds, you might ask them, oh, is something wrong? Because you can tell from their voice that something's going on. So for a manager, sometimes it's really useful. And I do this with a number of my clients. We still do phone calls for our check-ins as opposed to video, because in some ways it's a more humane experience. Okay, that's one thing. But, but putting all that aside, however you are interacting, one of the best tools that a leader has is the power of curiosity and questions. Asking how things came to be where they are. And I'm going to give you some specific language that's really helpful and doesn't even sound like a question particularly, but it can be very useful in uncovering what's going on. And the, the two words that are so valuable are, I notice. 
or if you don't like that language, you could say, I see, or I understand. But I notice says, I'm paying attention to you, and this is what I'm observing. I notice that we haven't met all our deadlines. Could we talk about that a little? I notice that the conversations don't go as easily now while we're all dispersed as they used to when we were in one room together. And then I'm going to give you another piece of language. I'm wondering, or I'm curious if, I'm wondering if there's something we could do to change that. So I notice and I'm wondering, let's the manager or leader ask questions about what's going on without sounding like an interrogation, and then propose some theories about what might not be working or what we could do to fix it in ways that are less likely to shut down the conversation and are more likely to open it up. That's great. And, and I specifically liked what you said at the beginning of your answer about the, the range of experience, because already um, around 2017, 2018, we were also talking a lot to organizations about the hyper-diversification of the workforce, that managers can no longer do this uh, cut-and-paste management, that the work-life policies and everything had to be opened so wide that everybody can find something that works for them. And I love it that you highlighted that this experience has made this even more subtle, that the differences, even within a small team of the lived experiences with the pandemic, with teleworking and with the organization are so nuanced um, that managers really have to be tuned in um, to, to sense what is happening and what are the different needs and, and how they can cater and I also loved your examples of the language because the more and more I, I learn about these things and the more I chat with people also in terms of, you know, furthering gender equality and tackling racism and all of that, how much words and communication matter and really picking the right words and the specific words, just as you say, to 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 invite people to share with you what is happening or you just, instead of, you know, really triggering for them to shut down, as you say, and, and turn away and, and become very cynical or disconnected or disengaged. You make such good points, Agnes, and it is so challenging because managers don't come with a special handbook that teaches them how to think about others. And exactly to your point, it is more and more important that we be able to do that. But we don't learn, you know, from when we're young to wait for everybody to speak so we can see what they think before we leap in and tell them what we think. And the more power you have, the more important it is to take others into account and 
the funny thing is that the more power you have, sometimes the less you think you need to do it. So it is very challenging and it's very important that the most senior leaders think in terms of providing the kind of support in terms of coaching and counseling for the managers in the organization because they should not assume that this is natural or instinctive in the first place. And in the second place, why leave it to trial and error forever? If you you know, if there are <laughs> techniques that work, yeah. why not share them so that people can do better and and take some of the friction out of the system? And also create more um uh, that in the workplace there is not such a big difference from team to team. Because when we work with larger organizations we see how powerful the imprint of the team leader or the line manager is. And that you speak to two people who work in different teams on the same organization and as if they would be working in different planets. If they have yes. one has a team leader who is open and appreciative and, and has these kind of skills versus the other manager who is clueless about these issues, right? Yes. And this actually goes back to your point about conflict. This is part of why there is organizational conflict. Um, I sometimes refer to it as, as if the different departments think they are different nation states. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't even recognize the other department as being like them. They actually think of them as different. You are correct about the imprinting of Whoever has the power right there on the spot, that person can control a lot. What I like to encourage people to do, and this is as true whether you are working remotely or whether you are in work groups back on premises, is to look for the structures that will help support better work relationships and better work processes because if the structures are humane consistent and reliable then an individual who may be manipulative or power hungry or or just unskillful is likely to do somewhat less harm and similarly, when you have a kind of interpersonal conflict to individuals, say, working remotely, if the work process supports them as opposed to driving them apart, well, that's a real benefit in helping to ameliorate some of their conflict. Hmm. And many, many um, employees who are stuck in the more unfortunate team <laughs> with the less skilled, um, yeah. maybe micromanaging uh, um, leader, they are really caught in a tricky situation because how can they address the incompetence of the person, as you say, who they depend on for decisions and benefits and accommodations 
how how do you su- support? Uh, what is your advice for them? To shall they just go above the head, over the head of their direct supervisor, if if that's the case, or try sideways? It's difficult. It's difficult, and it's tricky, and it's all risky. But let me give you some themes. Um, it is very useful for the individual to think of themselves as managing up, that they are actually managing their manager, as opposed to thinking that they are um, completely under the sway of their manager. If they can think of it as two-way, obviously the manager has more uh, positional authority, the power that comes from being connected differently in the organization. But each individual employee has the power of delivery of work product. And if they are savvy about it, they can find ways to interact more effectively. I'm not saying terrifically, but more effectively with even a bad manager. And the first thing is to get control of yourself. And this is true in almost everything. And and by that, I mean the kind of self-awareness and self-regulation. We often think of it as emotional intelligence to recognize when you're triggered and to calm yourself so that you can operate out of your best thinking process and not just be reactive. So if you're calm and attentive and you see how your manager operates, think about what can I do to show my manager that I care about them, their success, their results? Because it is very calming to people generally to know that this person is loyal to me, wants to do what I want them to do. And if the employee approaches from that kind of perspective, how can we make this work? How can I contribute more? I'm assuming that their manager is not pathological, you know? I'm assuming they are in the normal range and just unskillful. Yes. because if they are an abuser or a high-level manipulator, that's a different thing, and then the safest thing is to get out if you can. But if they're just regular, not great, think about what would you want in their position? What do you see that they want? How can you help them? Part of your job as an employee, part of being successful, is actually helping your manager be successful. And if you can think about that and be willing to take that on, your manager learns to trust you and have confidence in you. So then when you ask for something to be different, gee, boss, do you think we could do it this way instead of that way because it will get us the result you want? If they already have learned to trust you, they are more likely to let you go ahead with your initiative or to try to support you when you raise an issue, that kind of thing. So the managing up is crucial. 
But the other thing that is very important, particularly in larger organizations, is to have relationships outside of your team. To look for opportunities, whether it's for cross-functional projects and task forces, or there may be philanthropic or other kinds of affinity groups, yeah, or yeah. the employee resource groups. Mm -hmm. All of those things participate other places so that you get access to other leaders. So you see, is this the organizational culture? Or is it just my manager? And to start to build relationships where you may be able to get mentoring or sponsorship outside of your work group that can be helpful for your ongoing career progress. These are such fantastic insights. Um, I'm sure the listeners are also just really writing everything down because I think <laughs> what you're sharing, um, Liz, is so practical um, and everybody can recognize, you know, these kind of situations they've been in and these skills and this knowledge would have been so helpful. So I'm so glad and grateful for you to share this. Now I'm looking at my questions and something happened in this podcast that doesn't happen often. I abandoned my questions basically after the second one and we branched into another fascinating arm of, <laughs> of topics and discussion. Um, so before we, we um, wind down the conversation, I just wanted to ask you um, one more thing because um, you know, working with organizations and teams, I'm starting to believe, and maybe you can confirm whether this hypothesis is, is correct, uh, I'm, I'm starting to, to think that solutions to all manners of challenges and problems are always on the other side of a very uncomfortable conversation. And that we have to learn how to have these sensitive, awkward, uncomfortable conversations to push growth in the organization and, and as you say, even help your manager to grow, help yourself to understand better. Um, yet we're so unskilled, right? We, we don't know um, how to have these. So maybe just if you have one advice or two advice about your recommendations for creating opportunities for having these conversations, what do you think, Liz? So, of course, you're right about the discomfort. I think certainly in the beginning when you haven't done this often, I wouldn't worry about trying to create opportunities, um, which sounds to me like you really have to struggle and and therefore what you might say might actually seem almost incongruent with everybody's expectations. You don't have to look for opportunities. They're all around us, Agnes. And, um, okay, here's what I would say. I think if you start by looking for opportunities where if you were in the other person's shoes, you wish that someone would help you, you wish that someone would say something to you. That will help reassure you that it's not a mistake to speak. That's the first issue, to decide 
should I speak? And you know you're taking a risk. We are so afraid of looking stupid, and we are equally afraid of somehow hurting the other person. So checking to see, would it be helpful to me if somebody told me? Yes, it would. So maybe I even have a moral obligation to say something. Okay, I need to say something. Now, how do I say it? You can actually use the same construct I gave you before. You know, I've been noticing that when you um, open the meeting this way, here are the things that happen. Have you noticed that too? Oh, yes, I've noticed that. Well, I've been wondering, do you think we could try this other thing? Maybe that would work better. What do you think? So it's not telling somebody they're wrong. It's not telling somebody you know the best way. It is sharing your, your observations and concerns and asking for them to participate in thinking about it. That's much less challenging than telling somebody that they did something a stupid way and they should never do it again. So that's important. The self-management is really important because you want to be able to say these things in a calm way and a thoughtful way and an even way and not, you know that sound when somebody's voice is up in their throat and you know they're having trouble swallowing? You don't want to be in that position. So firmly grounding yourself, having both of your feet on the floor flat, having your hands on the desktop or on your, your thighs, um, having a couple of long exhalations before you speak. These are all things that calm the body so the other person's body doesn't hear that you're frightened. That's remarkably helpful. If you're calm, they're much more likely to stay calm. And the other thing is to accept whatever they say as their true expression of what they think. And if you don't like it, instead of reacting with anger or upset, just say to yourself, oh, that's so interesting. Because then you can stay neutral and process it much better. Whatever happens, it's interesting. Think of it, um, you know, this happens in, in businesses all the time. Think of it as running a whole bunch of experiments and seeing which ones work and continuing to do more of that. So really coming from a place of curiosity, almost childlike open-mindedness of curiosity rather than judgment or fear. I love yes, it. I would, I, I would call it beginner's mind mm -hmm. rather Absolutely. than childlike. Yes, yes. You want to maintain a sense of power in yourself. Um, so openness and curiosity, absolutely, and with compassion. Because, right, because the other person may feel a little challenged or may feel self-conscious or insecure. So you want to show that you are not against them. 
you are trying to help everyone together. That's great. Um, now, unfortunately, time is running way too quickly on this fabulous conversation. So before we go to the last question, I would like to ask you, Liz, to share with listeners um, where they can find out more about your work, where they can um, reach you, where they can contact you. So thank you, Agnes. Of course, the best place is my website. And that's www.lizkislik.com. And that's L-I-Z-K-I-S, as in Sam, L-I-K. Um, because there, not only can they contact me, but uh, there's the TEDx talk that you referred to, which is also about conflict. And there is a free ebook that your listeners are welcome to get. And that's about the interpersonal aspects of conflict. And I have many, many blogs and articles uh, that are there, some of which may be helpful. So that's the best place. But of course, LinkedIn is also an excellent place either to connect or, or to see more stuff. Um, I'm Liz Kislik there and uh, the same for Twitter. Thank you. Excellent. Now, coming to the last question, which is always the same here on the Work Life Hub podcast, if I could ask you, Liz, what would be your number one advice to senior management in how they can create more inclusive, safe, um, you know, positive workplaces for everyone? That, that includes all the things we've discussed. What would be your number one advice or the first thing that they should do? So I'm actually going to give it as a two-parter. Yes, I have, I have some guests who negotiate at this stage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because the first thing is actually what I said before, that no matter how senior you are, you have to self-regulate you have to be able to manage yourself so that you are coming from your best self. I won't go into detail about that. I, I will leave that right there, but, but to be your best self. But with that as the context, the whole point of leadership is to accomplish things. And as the leader, you must accomplish them through other people. So your first thought should really be about them and not just about the thing you need to accomplish. Thinking about your people and how to work with them so that they can accomplish as opposed to just telling them what to do or telling them what you're dissatisfied with. Them before you because it's your goals but it's their lives. So understanding them, highlighting what's good about them, think about them. If they are doing well, you will do well. Thank you so much, Liz, for sharing all this great insight in such a highly accessible, clear way 
Really, I really, really enjoyed and appreciated this conversation and for you to come on the podcast and I'm sure the listeners as well. So I just wanted to say thanks and really wish you the, the best of success uh, going forward in your work helping all these organizations. Thank you, Agnes. I have really enjoyed speaking with you. I loved your questions and I love that we went in a direction we didn't necessarily expect. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast episode, our conversation with Liz Kisley. Um, I'm sure you had a lot of insights and also takeaways from this. I took great notes about the specific phrases and, and what to say and how to say it. I found that particularly helpful. If you were interested in topics such as remote working, work-life balance, working from home, organizational culture, then I invite you to come and check out other podcast episodes on worklifehub.com or on other major broadcasting um, services under the Work Life Hub podcast. Thank you and stay safe.